Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. In this episode, we're catching up with whiskey distillers, whiskey filmmakers and whiskey adventurers from the Scottish islands to the world's most northerly inhabited city of Svalbard. Now that's somewhere a dram of society whiskey would be most welcome. But we start slightly closer to home with Tobermory Distillery on the beautiful island of Mull, which is resuming production after two years of maintenance. The Scotch Malt Whiskey Society's Madeline Schmoll caught up with senior blender Kirsty McCallum to find out what's been happening and what the changes mean for the distillery's production. You're starting production this summer after being closed for two years. What's been going on behind the scenes? There's been lots of work going on at Tobermory and there is still work going on at Tobermory at the moment. Um, In the last few years, what we've done is we've replaced washbacks, stills, uh, we're putting in a whole new still room, uh, we've given the the visitor centre a paint job, so there's been lots and lots going on at Tobermory. Okay, and in terms of changes to production and capacity, is there anything going on there? We will have the same capacity for the whisky, mm-hmm. but we are putting in a uh, gin still. Gin still. And tell me a bit more about that, because I think everyone's talking about that tonight a bit. <laughs> well, uh, at the moment our focus is still the whisky, but we have a very small experimental still that we're using to produce a uh, Tobermory gin on. We will be looking to use that for the next couple of months until the, the big still goes in, and then we will be using the Big Mary, as we call her, the, the main still. And I hear that the gin includes new make malt spirit. It does, yes, yes. We have some Topamori new make in there, yeah. That's pretty exciting. So that's what gives it its creamy taste? A lovely creamy note to it, yeah. It really does make a difference in the mouthfeel when you actually taste it. And I can attest it's a really lovely gin to enjoy. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there have also been some pretty big changes moving from the 10-year to the 12-year. Yes. So tell me a bit about that. Basically, 10-year-old Tobermory was a lovely dram. It was a really easy drinking dram, but we're able to do so much more with Tobermory. And I think moving Tobermory to show actually what the distillery is capable of is where we're trying to head to. It's almost, in some ways, it's a, maybe a slight upgrade in Tobermory. 12 years old bourbon cast with a touch of virgin oak. It means you get lovely, rich flavours in there. You get the, 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 the virgin, touch of the virgin oak coming through. You get the bourbon coming through. It's just, Tobermory is such a gem. It's the only distillery on the island. And we can just do so much with it. And I hope in the future we are, well, we are looking to do so much with Tobermory and just expand the range and do all sorts of different things with it. Well, that actually leads on quite nicely to my next question, was, uh, which was, what does the future hold in terms of other expressions? There's a few new expressions that are planned for Tobermory okay. that are being worked on at the moment, but uh, I don't want to give away too many details on those ones. Uh, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, we noticed also that you hosted your first artist-in-residency um, with Catherine Ross. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Basically, it was Tobermory such a beautiful place. It's sets itself up. You walk around Tobermory and it's there's artists here, there's the next thing there. It's just such a beautiful town and it lends itself so well to being painted. There's no more beautiful island in Scotland than Mull. It's an island that's got so much of a variation between the landscapes. Like you've got the big mountain in the middle, you've got the beautiful beaches at the coast, you've got everything else in between. It's just such a beautiful island. So and even you look at the pictures of Tobermory, the painted buildings, it's so vibrant, it's so alive. Very colourful then. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks. If you can't make it on a visit to the Isle of Mull, 
Isla or any other whisky producing region of Scotland, don't worry, a new documentary can transport you from wherever you might be to show you the landscape and introduce some of the people responsible for creating our national drink. I met up with the appropriately named Andrew Peat, director of the whisky documentary Scotch, The Golden Dram, to find out where his motivation came from and how the film came together. Uh, this is a film that I had, uh, it was a concept a few years ago, and uh, when we came to film it, we just had a basic idea of going from barley to bottle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that was sort of like a tagline from Barley the Bottle at the time. Uh, and it was just the idea that I've got a bottle of fine whiskey in front of me. How did it get here? Yeah. So you've got the farmers who grow the barley. You've got the distillers. You've got the people who make the casks. You've got the people who make the bottles for the fin- finished product. And so we, we wanted to look cover the whole process from barley to bottle. And that was just the original idea. Uh-huh. Um, because at that time, I didn't know who I'd be talking to or, you know, how we'd, how we'd you know, pursue the story. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, that was a few years ago. And it, it took a while, but we're here and we're very happy with it. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, what got you into this in the, in the first place? You're, you're, you're not Scottish? Well, okay. But Partly. we don't sound Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there's some my, Scottish down yeah, the line. Yeah. My grandfather's Glaswegian. Right, okay. And he emigrated to the United States. And so we always had uh, the Scottish background. Okay. And I still have family who are here. And uh, I visit them when I come over and I'll right. be staying with them. Uh, and so there's that background. I also, uh, I was an exchange fellow for one year at the University of St. Andrews. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's actually when I got into whiskey. I'd never really had it before. But right. when I came here... Uh, I thought, hmm, I'm in the in the country of whiskey. Yeah. So I walked into a liquor store one day and I said, hi, I'm here from America. I've never really had whiskey. Uh, I'd like to try it. What would you suggest? And he gave me a half bottle, you know, th- 37 milliliter of Glenmorangie, 10 year old single malt. Okay. And that was my beginning. And it came in this really lovely uh, tin case, a box. And I still have that box to this day. It's in my home. Right. Uh, and uh, that's how I began. I just started sipping that and getting the taste for it. And Were you straight into it? Was it like an epiphany when you when you tried that one, or did it no, take a bit of work? It, it was it was gradual. Yeah. And I, you know, when I first tasted it, it was like, oh, this is strong, because I was more I was more used to beer or wine. Um, I was never into hard alcohol. And so it was, you know, it was a little bit strong. Uh, but I knew that uh, over time I would. I'd be able to appreciate it more. I'd be able to uh, nose out some of the scents, the aromas, you know, the flowery or, or sweet nature of it. And, and it was just a process over time for that. Yeah. Um, then uh, I went later, I went to film school for a graduate degree. I went to the University of Southern California Film School. And uh, just before graduation, it's a three-year program, and just before graduation, we're required to take an industry course. It's called an industry course. It's something to do with you know getting into the industry. 
Um, and so the course that I took is called the Pitch Class, and we mm -hmm. learn how to pitch film ideas to you know production companies, and, and we have to do a whole bunch of pitches. And so one of the pitches I decided was a film that I could actually make. I wanted to do something that really because you can always talk about oh I'm going to make the next Star Wars film or something as a pitch, um, but I decided I wanted to pitch one that I could really pursue. Uh -huh. um, and so thinking of the, along those lines, I'd already made some documentary films at, at school. And so I thought, well, a documentary might be a possible film. It doesn't cost quite so much to get going. Uh, and so then I was, I was tossing around different ideas. And I thought, well, I've never really seen a good documentary on Scotch whiskey. Yeah. So I, I said, okay, I'll go for that. And so I did a little bit of research, prepared a pitch, gave it to the professors, and they really liked it. They said, this is a great idea. You should pursue it. So I, I spoke with uh, one of my classmates, Arjun, who's from India, and he's got a great eye for pictures. He's a cinematographer, and he, he really creates beautiful photographs. Uh, and so I talked with him. I said, hey, if I do this film, would you like to come along and do it with me? And he was like, sure, why not? Uh -huh. uh, so it was the December of 2014 where I sort of said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, so I began pre-production, which is you know really starting to do the research, contacting companies, contacting individuals. Con I contacted you guys, of course, yeah. uh, about doing an interview and you know going to your facility. And that, that was a process of putting my team together and um, preparing to come over and you know booking hotels and all that process. That took about six months. Yeah. And then we came over in the summer of 2015. Yeah, and the actual shoot was fairly short. You you just kind of went and blitzed yeah, everything. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, we were here for. We were on the ground in Scotland for about 32 days, and we were shooting almost every day. We had a couple of days where we were like traveling, didn't do any shooting, but uh, we were shooting most days. We ended up with 67 hours of footage, and we've distilled that down to. Uh, 84 minutes of film and then three minutes of credits. Like and a so master distiller taking exactly, the cut. Exactly, exactly. That you need. That the heart. Yeah, the heart. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it really is like it's, it's only 2% of the film that we shot. 98% is not there because we kept the 2% that was going to make the best story. Yeah. And did you target specific names within the industry, or was it just kind of seeing how it how it came together and who was able to cooperate? Or? It, it was it was a combination of both. Uh, just part of it was my research, trying to find like who are the. I wanted to one idea I had is I I, I was looking for master distillers, people who had really been in the in the industry for a long time. I didn't want to get someone who was new, or three years or something. I wanted people who were at least ten, fifteen minimum in the industry and so I was researching that and then the main companies you know the main distilleries and then I was reaching out to them and seeing who would be available for the time that we would be here uh, and who was willing to come on and, and would be open to you know a, a good interview because we couldn't I couldn't do an interview that was going to be say 20-30 minutes you can't get into the depth yeah. or anything like that and so I, I you know I emphasized we needed to have a commitment of time sure. and the more time they could give us the more we could do with it and the better it would be and so again it was a matter of you know just uh, going through those who were willing and, and able uh, and matching us up with our schedules yeah. and but as a, as a result Jim yeah. McEwen kind of took us he ended up yeah, taking he, a fairly central yeah, he role he in the sort film. of rose to the top there because he um, and it was it was serendipity in many ways uh, when I came over I didn't know that he was retiring 
at that time, and he'd been in the industry for so long that he had previously been the head of Balmore. I didn't know uh, the story of his resuscitating Brookladi. Right? Yeah. I didn't know that just a couple of weeks before we arrived, uh, his single malt was named the best single malt in the world for that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were all these things that I had no idea about. I didn't know that he was going to be giving his final tasting that week that we were there. Um, Good timing. <laughs> Exactly, and, but it, it was just it was serendipity. It was one of these things that we, we didn't know uh, until we got here, and then all these things worked out. And Jim was very warm, very open, uh, very giving of his time, uh-huh. and he was happy to take us through the whole process, um, happy to have us come in for the final tasting and you know, film around. Because you know, when you have a film team there, we, we tend to get in the way. Sure. Uh, and uh, he... Uh, he was just great to interview and he was also open to us uh, being in contact with his family so his daughters came in for an interview he brought his grandchildren to the beach so that we could uh, shoot some sh- you know film some shots of him with his grandchildren uh, interacting having fun playing around yeah and and those all made it into the film and he's coming along tonight to the premiere as well absolutely he and uh, his daughter Lynn who's actually in charge of uh, global sales for Bukladi, uh both of them are going to be there tonight yeah uh, for the film and then they're going to hold a tasting afterwards yeah yeah but you've got some other big characters in the film as well. Oh yeah, so we've got, I mean, we've got you know, people from many of the distilleries, uh, Richard Patterson from the Dalmore. We went to uh, you know, Lagavulin, Lafroig, uh, uh, Gunnhaben, uh, and uh, on, in the mainland here to Glen Goyne. Uh, of course, uh, Dr. Bill Longston at the Lamorangi, yeah. which I was happy to do because that was my first whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, they all gave us excellent interviews, and they're, they're all part of the film. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of storytelling that goes along with with, with the production of Scotch and the, the, the marketing of Scotch as well. So, you know, they, they, these are natural storytellers, I suppose. They, they are, and it's great interviewing them because they, they're so good at, uh, you know, explaining their position or dis- describing the process of making whiskey but then also I asked them stories I said oh, you know uh, so I'd say to to uh, say uh, 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 I might say to Jim for example oh you know Bill Lumsden tell me a story about Bill Lumsden and so then he'd launch into this story about Bill Lumsden right or uh, Charlie McLean the whiskey writer and he's going to be there tonight emceeing the okay, whole thing excellent um uh, I say, oh, tell us something about about Jimmy Kewen, and then he'd give us a story about Jimmy Kewen. Yeah, and uh, and and their stories are funny; they're hilarious. Yeah, uh, and and very. I mean, in one sense, heartwarming in the sense that they're friends. And it's what one of the things that surprised me in the whiskey industry is that they're much more friends than they are rivals. Yeah, and they never say anything negative about each other it would be, it's so common in other industries where they'll talk down about other companies and other people but in, in whiskey when I was going around talking to them they, they would not complain about each other I mean obviously they might have a sense of rivalry or they might have there might have been hard feelings about somebody but they wouldn't say it Yeah. and so it was great to see that that it's an industry that's really trying to help each other sure yeah. and how, how do you think the story is going to play outside of Scotland I think you know he, here we, we kind of take a lot of this for granted mm-hmm. it's it's what we what, what we're surrounded by yeah. and a lot of the characters that you're talking about we're quite familiar with mm-hmm. but, but for an international audience how do you see the the, the, the film play it's been great so far yeah. 
because we've actually been in festivals in the United States, Canada, Argentina. Uh, it's now played in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, and the response has just been fantastic. Everywhere it's gone, we've gotten you know people writing to us saying uh, that they went to many films in a festival and this was their favorite film. Um, and uh, lots of requests, people saying, "Can we get a DVD?" It's like uh, my it's uh, last uh, October. People saw it at a festival and they wrote to me and said, oh, I want this for my father for Christmas. Yeah. Get me the DVD. And I said, sorry, this hasn't been made yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but you said, you know, one of the reasons you pitched it in the first place was you, you didn't see a lot of documentaries or films about whiskey, right. uh, about scotch anyway, that were out there. So, you know, there's a gap in the market. Yeah, I think, I think it's there. And, and again, it's, if, it, if it had been sort of your typical dry let's explore how to make whiskey documentary, it wouldn't be getting this response. Yeah. Uh, it's because it focuses on the characters. Yeah, the All these, these people who are making whiskey. We also do a lot of on the, the Scotland, as far as the landscapes, we've got some beautiful shots. Yeah. We've got, you know, um, moments of like the Highland Games. We went and shot the Highland Games for a day uh, at the invitation of the Duke of Argyle. And so uh, we've got all these different, you know, aspects. Uh, I went and, uh, previously because I've been to Scotland many times, and previously I'd gone to the uh, Cairngorm uh, mountain areas. There's a shepherd there, uh, and he he's a champion uh, sheepdog trainer. And they, you know, they listen to his different whistles and they run around and do all this stuff. So I went and I said, hey, I'm going to go film him because it's just a beautiful area. These dogs are so well trained. It'd just be something interesting to have footage that we could possibly use. And it's in the film. And whenever people see the dogs in the film, you just hear the audience go, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the nice thing of the film is it's got a lot of variety. Yeah. And, it, and people have said, you know, compared to other documentaries that, oftentimes we get a little bit bogged down in a subject we, we just keep moving and moving and moving and so there's there's really never a dull moment and in terms of the you know y your initial uh, idea of fr from field to bottle from mm. fr from, uh, from barley to bottle from barley to bottle uh, did it, any revelations come out of the film, uh, out of the stories you heard, out of you know looking at the processes? You know, what, what did you learn about it? I learned a lot, <laughs> and I think anyone who watches the film is going to learn a lot because we, again, we do go from barley to bottle, and you get to meet the people who are doing this and explain, and we show how things are done. And I, I, you know, when I first came in, I was ignorant about much of the process, uh, you know, how things are done and why they're done. And so, to me, making the film was a huge learning process, and it was that was great too. As well, of course, meeting the people and you know the locations and, and all these things. And we went into the history. We go into the history a little bit about illicit distills, distilling a couple hundred years ago. We we spoke with three history professors. They're all in the film, and they they talk about different aspects of it. Richard Patterson is also extremely well informed about the history of, of whiskey, and he talks about it as well. And we actually show uh, a real illicit still from it's like 150 200 years old yeah um, and the professors bring it out and they show us and how it works and these things and, it, and they give a, a nice story about uh some of the uh, illicit activities that happened at the time 
Uh, and so that that was you know all revelation to me. Yeah, yeah. and I'm glad to see the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society played some role in the film. As oh well. yeah, yeah. And so we we went there and we filmed. Uh, we actually had an interview with two of the members there who were just sitting there, uh, and they they were. It was just funny talking with them and all. Uh, it, they didn't make the final cut as far as their stories went, but they're in the film. They're there at, at the bar, you know, talking and, and having a good time. Uh, but then it was uh, oh Ben Kaler, I believe his name is Ben Kaler, who was working uh, in the society and at the bar there, and he uh, we went through the process of nosing and tasting and adding a little water to the whiskey with him. Yeah, uh, and that's that's all in the film. Yeah. Had you, had you tried cask strength whiskey before? No, a single cask cask yeah, strength yeah. whiskey. No, and that was that was delicious. Well, I what I I tasted it from uh, the distillers when I came. You know, so like with Jim McEwen uh, up at Tomatin, uh, we took tasting straight from the cask. Uh, but no, I hadn't had cask strength before, and that's. That's that's nice. It's a different yeah, world. That's a different world. That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people see the film, Andrew? Well, it uh, of course we're at the festival, but apart from the festival, next week I'll be coming back. I'm going to go to Dublin on on the weekend for the Dublin festival. We're going to have some uh, special events there. I'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be up in Inverness on Wednesday. On Thursday, we'll be here in Glasgow. Friday, we've got a special showing that's either going to be Glasgow or Edinburgh. hasn't been decided yet. And then March 8th, it's uh, beginning the wide distribution around the UK and Ireland. Uh, and so there's a, uh, a website, a web page, where you can see exactly where the film's going to be on which dates. And, uh, and it's an ongoing thing because we keep adding on more dates and more theaters. Okay. But, but it will have a cinematic release. Oh yeah, we're in cinemas. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be in cinemas for a while before it'll like be available for digital download. Very yeah. good. Uh, and what's next? Any more whiskey productions, or are you moving on to something else? Um, moving on. Yeah, yeah. This is fantastic, but I've always got new projects that I'm ready to work on. And so, the the one that I'm working on right now is is a completely different subject, but it's also documentary. It's titled Vanishing Voices, and it's about the how minority cultures and minority languages around the world are d disappearing. They're being swallowed up by the major languages. I mean, just right here in Scotland, think sure. about Gaelic. Sure. Is, you know, is, is over the years has been dying out. And I know that you know they're working at trying to revive it and keep it alive. But the simple fact is around the world, this is happening everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and, and whole languages and cultures are just disappearing. So that's the, uh, the subject. Well, maybe another reason to come back to the, the Highlands and Islands yeah. to, to get some research for that right Andrew a pleasure and good luck with the film thank you very much finally a quick catch up with an adventurous Scotch Malt Whiskey Society member Nikolai Kaufman who took a bottle of cask number 51.7 come in from the cold on his trip to Svalbard the world's most northerly inhabited city Nico was there for two weeks of Arctic training in preparation for a scientific expedition to walk to the as-yet-unreached northern pole of inaccessibility, which is over 200 miles further than the geographic North Pole. He told me all about it in the welcome warmth of the vaults. So tell me what you were up there doing and why you were there. Yeah, I was up there for uh, a polar training because um, my plan is, or our plan is, to go to the Northern Pole of Inaccessibility next year. This is one out of four North Poles, which is located, or which is basically the center of the Arctic Ocean. So it's a point further away from any land. 
and this is so far unreached by any human. So our our aim is to get there as the first first humans, and we're planning to go there man hauling, <coughs> and yeah, and the entire journey should take up to 80 days, and each we, we divided the journey in four legs so and if every group will do a trip like of 20 days and 200 miles and then the next group so this was a training expedition so you had a couple of weeks to yeah. get up and you know put yourself through the paces and test yeah. your equipment and uh, you know give, yeah. your, give yourself some insight into what you what you were getting involved with yeah yeah exactly it was mainly to yeah to practice things to get used to your kit figure out how to use your kit where to store everything and for for some people especially to to figure out can i deal with these cold temperatures how do i feel when i have to sleep outside and can i handle the skiing all day and pulling my pulk all day so um it was really useful and was a was a good experience and yeah if you haven't done anything like this it's it's really really good to know all the small bits and pieces like your for example um, like my frozen frozen mid layer because I've just put it in my park without brushing off the sweat so it froze to a lump or the same as um, usually your big mitts if you don't wear them you store them inside your jacket so they keep you warm they keep the mitts warm and they're always always handy for you and if you don't know all these small Tips and tricks is yeah, it's getting much tougher. Yeah. Had you been in an environment like that previously? Um, no, it was the first time for me, for me as well. I do a lot of um, winter sports like skiing or ski touring and so on, but I haven't spent a night outside at minus 30 degrees yet. Yeah. So it's like yeah. And uh, the experience of the training camp wasn't enough to put you off the idea of actually uh, going on the on the full expedition. No, no, it wasn't. It was. The other way around, like yeah, now I'm even more keen to go and to do something like this. And, yeah. yeah, and I understand you took a bottle of society whiskey with you. Yeah, I took a bottle of uh, a 16-year-old whiskey of the society with me, which was a really nice present, and I saved it up for the last day when we came back to to our base camp, and we celebrated that we all made it back alive with all our fingers and toes, and yeah. A nice way to celebrate. Yeah, it was a nice way to celebrate. It was a, was a, was a nice whiskey. It was a, it was a good taste, like nice and, nice and fruity taste. And a few people couldn't handle the cask strength. So they were almost like, okay, I have one dram and then I go to bed straight away. So, yeah. <laughs> well, good luck with the expedition when it comes. And uh, we'll find a different bottle of whiskey for you to take uh, when it comes to reaching the North Pole of inaccessibility. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Yeah. All the best, Nico. Yeah. Thank you. You don't have to go to such extreme measures to enjoy a bottle of single cask, single malt from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. If you're not a member already, go to smws.com to find out more and take a look at our bottles. That's it for Whiskey Talk this time. Let us know what you think by getting in touch at unfiltered at smws.com. Until the next time, cheers. Cheers.